0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Bait and Switch Sunday. <laughs> Surprise! Uh, according to our carefully crafted sermon schedule, you're supposed to hear Al Freeberg this morning. He was going to kick off our new series on the book of Colossians, and as by you are now probably aware... I'm not Al Freeberg, and I will not be starting the sermon series on the book of Colossians this morning. We all feel that, Kim. Uh, Sometime late Friday afternoon, I got a text from Al uh, saying that he was feeling poorly, a little under the weather, not quite up to snuff, whatever weird anachronistic terms we can come up with, Um, and out of an abundance of COVID caution... Um, He thought it wiser to remain at home, which was probably the right call. However, the downside for you (laughs) is that we just returned from vacation, and I had absolutely nothing prepared for this morning. And for better or worse, I'm not really sure what, I'm not really one of those, you know, open the file drawer and bring out one of the old sermons and dust it off, assuming you probably never heard it the first time anyway. Um, That's just not my thing. It just didn't seem like the right thing. Uh, So I whipped up a little something, something for this morning, which you're going to have to suffer through. So before we make the kids suffer through it, let's release them for Children's Church, shall we? I just had this collection of this pastiche of random thoughts that have been kicking around over the last several months. And, you know, I looked up some things here or there, but never really put it all together in any kind of meaningful way, um, which will be abundantly clear this morning. And yet, I'm going to share those thoughts with you. Um, so this is not a completely thought-out or fully supported idea, nor is it very long, so there's that. Um, <laughs> so some of you may actually hear the whole thing. (laughs) Uh, It's really kind of a review or a a recap, maybe, of our current state of affairs. It's it's a light, end-of-summer, feel-good kind of sermonette, which I have decided to call the God of Pestilence. And this is as good as it gets. (laughs) So just let this soak in for a minute. We probably better pray before we proceed. Lord, we are grateful for the chance to gather here this morning. And I was um, struck numerous times going through our songs that those are sermon enough. Um, I am grateful for how you have led us in our... Uh, sense of worship, our appreciation of worship and and music and lyrics, Um, and I I do believe the gospel is preached and and your word is glorified and you are glorified through the songs that we sing, and so I thank you for that, and I uh, thank you for this opportunity that you've given us this morning to adjust and and scramble and um, cause us to remember yet again in our weakness, you are strong. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for the words that you've given me to share this morning and, and pray that there's, there's some some meaning, some application for, for the rest of us here this morning. It causes us to uh, reconsider where we are spiritually, reconsider how we fit into this world and this culture in times of, of chaos and turmoil. And so I thank you for this message um, and pray that you are with us through the rest of this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so... These are just kind of random ideas that have been floating around for a while, and, and I never had really written anything down. I'd looked up some things here or there, um, done a little research as I thought about things. Uh, and so this is kind of the, uh, the distillation of those ideas. Hopefully it's, a, it's cohesive enough for you to get something out of it as we go through. Um, but needless to say, I think we are all a little more familiar with the concept of pestilence at this time than we would probably like to be. Um, and just so that we're all on the same page, uh, pestilence is a deadly disaster, usually a disease that affects an entire community. It's usually contagious, virulent, and devastating. Pretty well sums up where we've been the last year and a half or so. Um, but what's really interesting is even though it, this is all affecting us for the first time in our lives and our generations, pestilence is clearly not a modern invention. Uh, we may be using modern, modern technology to make it worse than it might be otherwise. We might be helping it along, but it's not a modern invention. Um, pestilence has been around for a long time. Um, and this is one of the things I have researched over time. I just found this kind of interesting. Uh, the plague of Athens took place in 430 BC, and the estimated death toll was around 100,000 people. Uh, research suggests that victims experienced redness and and inflammation of the eyes, throat, and tongue, and they began to bleed out and smell like death until they eventually died. Uh, Between 165 and 180 BC, the Roman Empire experienced the Antonin Plague. It may have been smallpox, we don't know for sure, but it killed approximately 5 million people then. Uh, The Cyprian Plague of 250 A.D. uh, was killing 5,000 people a day in Rome alone. The Justinian Plague of 540, the Black Death in the mid-1300s, we're all aware of. That lasted for several decades. In fact, it went longer than that. just kind of would would flare up and go away. Um, But some estimates suggest that killed half of Europe's population. Uh, And then there were the North American Plagues that settlers and early explorers brought into the U.S., what was what would become the US um, that led to the collapse of the Inca and Aztec civilizations and it was very hard on other native tribes. Uh, the Russian plague of the 1750s which I found fascinating uh, citizens were quarantined for a long period of time and they eventually began to rebel and riot um, against the quarantines and it eventually led a crowd to murder Archbishop Ambrosius who was encouraging crowds not to gather together for worship and they did not like that and they killed him And then there's the Spanish flu, polio, all the other ones I've got listed there that are more modern versions, things that we are familiar with and and have some experience or some sense of history with. Uh, And of course, in addition to all of these, there's the whole series of plagues or pestilences we find in the Bible. The first mention of plague or pestilence is in the book of Leviticus. Uh, If you're not familiar, that comes pretty early. Pretty early in the Bible, so this is kind of our history of humanity, of humankind. And so, after going through this brief review, you know, are we all sufficiently bummed out now, or a little bit terrified, or? Uh, and honestly, these are just the highlights. These are the big ones, right, or the low lights, whatever you might want to call them. These, these are just the big ones, and it doesn't take long for you to start reviewing these things before you begin to realize that it really is a miracle that any of us are even here to complain about the inconveniences of life with covid we are biological entities living on a biological planet where stuff happens but where it gets really interesting where it perhaps gets really challenging to our faith is when we understand that in the Bible, pestilence is often a sign of God's judgment on a nation or on a particular group of people. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses is near death. He's been told he's going to die. Um, And so he spends time writing out the book of the law. Uh, And he's going to leave this book to help Joshua, to help the nation of Israel as they proceed forward and and to help keep them connected with God and, and... He writes this out, and then in chapter 32, there's this section, and and the the heading on most Bibles says, The Song of Moses. You've seen this in your Bible, The Song of Moses. So, Moses starts off by explaining, really, the the wonders, um, the power, the majesty, the faithfulness of God. But he also explains the consequences of rejecting God. And in Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 19... It says, The Lord saw at their rebellion, and he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with the foolish nation for a fire is kindled by my anger and it burns to the depths of Sheol devours the earth and its increase and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains and I will heap disasters upon them I will spin my arrows on them they shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust is it just me or does that seem harsh I mean, especially when, when you compare that to how the Song of Moses starts. Here's how good God is. Here's how bad God can be. Early in this text, it says, Moses writes, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I will ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That's how the song starts. So what happened between the first verse of the Song of Moses and the subsequent verses? Well, verse 5 says they've dealt corruptly with God. They're no longer his children because they are blemished. They become a crooked and twisted generation. So Moses lays that out pretty clearly for the people. Here's what the Lord wants us to do. And, and he will protect and he will defend and he will bless those who are walking with him. But here is what he has to do for justice to those who rebel. I mean there's a pretty direct link being made here between disobeying God and the resulting pestilence. There's another example you're probably familiar with in First Chronicles. It's, it's about David. David eventually, even though he's a man after God's own heart, David eventually surrenders to his pride. He listens to the voice of Satan. He disobeys the Lord and he takes a census. In Israel and Judah. And we're told that Satan tempted David to do it, but the Lord allowed Satan to tempt David to see what he would do. And David sinned. So the Lord was angered at both David's pride and his disobedience. And there were consequences. And David was punished, at least in part, by having to choose his own punishment. Remember that part? Did you ever have one of those grandmas that told you, go out and pick your switch? (laughs) It's kind of like that. David had to choose his punishment, and the choices he had were three years of famine, three months of fleeing from his enemies, or three days of plague and pestilence. David chose three days. 2 Samuel says, So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time, three days. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men. This is a very direct line. This is the direct link between the sin of David and the death of 70,000 of his men. Pestilence was a result of disobedience and rebellion. There's one more example from the book of Amos that I'm going to mention, and this is the one that's the most unnerving. This is the one that ought to give us pause here in the U.S. Uh, here's the context for the book of Amos. It's around 750 B.C. Uh, Israel and Judah have split, uh, uh, happened previously over leadership. And both countries, both people groups, are, are really experiencing relative peace for the first time in a long time. They've, they've got stable leadership. Uh, they're experiencing, experiencing a period of wealth and prosperity. Israel especially seemed to be taking advantage of this. Judah had a tendency to kind of keep to themselves a little more. But Israel was, was, was more out in the world, and they capitalized on these good times. And during this period of peace and prosperity and wealth and good times, Israel became convinced that they were being blessed by God. Just think about that for a minute. Any time now, they thought, any day now, the Lord is going to come and we're going to, they're going to experience the day of the Lord. He's going to come and make their enemies their footstool. They're going to become rulers of the world. I mean, God was already blessing them, so they were expecting him to finish the job any time now. They were the chosen people. And they were, as it turns out, mistaken in their assumption that they were being blessed. It turns out their accumulation of wealth Came about largely at the expense of the poor, who they had been oppressing. Their worship of God had been reduced to some kind of magical manipulation of God, not unlike perhaps our prosperity gospel today. They expected God to provide every demand, every request they had. In fact, it turns out their worship of an almighty God began to look a lot like the pagan worship of their neighbors. So what they understood, what they interpreted as blessing, God actually intended as a curse. And we've talked about this before here in various contexts and various sermons. We've said that sometimes the worst thing God can do is to allow us to have what we think we want. And it almost always works out to our detriment. This seems to be the case here. And there. Desire for wealth and power and prestige they slowly removed God from the center of worship they had numerous other gods to take his place wealth and power prestige and it turns out God was just giving them enough rope so to speak He found out that their devotion to him was really no devotion at all. So he sent in Amos to call them out. Amos reminds them of how the Lord has been after them for some time. He's been trying to get their attention for some time now. In what seems to be escalating attempts to get their attention. Halfway into chapter 4, Amos says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied, yet you did not return to me. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me. I sent among you a pestilence. After the manner of Egypt, I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp. Go up into your nostrils, read it with me, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. That's a pretty direct connection, again, between rebellion and and adversity. Even plague and pestilence can come about as a result of rebellion against God. And there are more examples than these that I could have provided, but I think you see the point I'm trying to make here. If God is sovereign, then he is the God of plague and pestilence. Now, this becomes a bit of a problem for those who insist that God is love. And it's not that they're wrong. God is a God of love. But he is also the God of pestilence. And pestilence is often a form of judgment brought upon the unrighteous and rebellious. Now, Not every pandemic is a direct judgment from God. At least that's not made clear in Scripture. I don't think we can draw that assumption or conclusion. But the Bible makes it very clear that pestilence and plagues throughout history have been used as a punishment for sin. And in all these examples that I've laid out here this morning, we can look at these, I think, in at least one of two ways. Number one is, God is a jealous, mean, and vindictive God. He just seems to enjoy punishing people. Which is kind of the view anymore of your your garden variety atheist. You know, we've used this quote before, but it's such a good one. Here's what Richard Dawkins has said. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megal- megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. That is not hummable. <laughs> That's pretty brutal. And sadly, I don't think he's alone in that view. He probably carries it a little farther than most. He's made more money off of this particular viewpoint. But this is one way of looking at this situation, this God of love and, and pestilence. The, the other option is, as followers of Christ, I think we are obligated to at least try to see through the lens of what we know about God. Which then gives us this conundrum to consider, this paradox to ponder, and that is that the God who loves and protects and blesses is also the God who sends disasters and pestilence when it accomplishes his righteous purpose on earth. It's a big thought. It can be difficult to reconcile all of that sometimes. But really, I think it should beg the question, so what is his righteous purpose on earth? Right? If he'll do those things to pursue his purpose on earth, what is his purpose? And honestly, I don't think we can fully understand the, the, the breadth and depth of God's purpose for all of us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not, not our thoughts. But I think we can know something. We can learn something from the examples that we've looked at. This morning. In the Amos text, we saw four times in four verses, yet you did not return to me. Where was God's heart in that? To get people back to Him. So, one of God's purposes clearly is His great desire to draw His creation, to draw His people back to Himself. He wants to live in communion with us as it was in the garden. Let's get back to that before we sin against him. His purpose is to transform us back into his likeness. He has called us to be holy because he is holy. He wants us to be his people. He wants to be our God. So God is driven by his great love for us. That's one of his purposes. If you think about it, it's so fascinating. By the time Moses wrote the book of the law, the Israelites already had this incredible history to draw on. Right? You'd think they would have seen enough evidence at this point. I mean, God had made them into a nation, for one thing. Starting with Abraham, they became like the number of sand on the seashore, right? They're numerous as the stars in the sky. They're a nation that God created out of nothing. So the fact that they exist is all attributable to God. They ended up in cap- captivity, and God miraculously rescued them from servitude. And then they quickly disobeyed and refused to go into the promised land. So they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. I mean, there's some pretty direct cause and effect relationships there. They had plenty to draw on. And even after all that recent experience, Moses still had to start off with this Song of Moses by reminding them what God had done for them. And then reminding them of the consequences of rejecting him or rebelling against him, which was often death. And then centuries later, Amos had to go through that whole process again. Here's how good God is. Here's where you don't want to be if you reject him and rebel against him. And so we tend to look at this, Richard Dawkins, to an extreme, but the rest of us, at times, we tend to look at all of this as as unfair. We we look at or, or we focus on what God does. He punishes. And somehow we overlook the circumstances leading up to God's punishment. I mean punishment is by definition reactive. It's the imposition of a penalty for wrongdoing. So God's punishment, even the plagues and the pestilence, it's all a reaction to wrongdoing. God does not punish this for fun. I don't care what Dawkins says. He doesn't do it for fun. And what's made abundantly clear through the Bible, we, all of us, we're all wrongdoers. By nature and by choice, we rebel against God. We sin against our Creator. And since He is the Creator, He gets to write the rules for how we are to live. Obedience results in blessing. Disobedience results in punishment. And He gets to choose the punishment. Which sometimes is death, sometimes it's death by plague and pestilence. Sometimes it's giving us what we think we want. And then we suffer the consequences of that. But when we start to think that we don't deserve this, we don't deserve this punishment. We're either deluding ourselves or we're just not being honest. Because death is exactly what we deserve for our sins against God. The wages of sin is death. So does it really matter how that death comes? and what form death comes? It's what we deserve. That is God's right as sovereign to punish rebellion. But, this is a pretty big but, God is also The God of love. He sent his Son to earth to die in our place, to offer redemption and salvation from the penalty of our sins. So Jesus is our protection against the righteous judgment of God. So, those of us who are in Christ, we really need never fear pestilence or any other judgment. Now, that's not to say that pestilence or plague or disease will never kill a believer. That's just not right. Physical death will come for us all unless Jesus comes back first. But we don't have to fear it. What we are experiencing in this time of COVID is a first for all of us. I mean, for, for generations, we haven't been through this kind of situation and it can cause a lot of fear and anxiety. I get that. But there's nothing new under the sun. We looked at the whole list of things that have come before. It's all happened before, many times over, and the church, this united family of Christ followers, need not be afraid. If we live long enough, we may see it again. We need to be more like Paul. Remember, we just looked at going through Philippians, and it's like Paul saw death as a suitable alternative to life. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Now, I can't tell you whether our current situation is a period of judgment from an almighty God. I mean, I think He certainly got plenty of reason for it, if that's the case. There's plenty to judge. But I don't know. We can't say with any certainty. I think what we can say is what was true then in those Old Testament examples is still true today. God loves us. He desires to live in community with us. He desires for us to worship him as our creator. For us to worship him as the sovereign almighty God. And for his name to be glorified in and through us. So that we don't know for sure if COVID is punishment or just biology. This ought to cause us to At least consider those examples of old and consider our spiritual status. Is God trying to get our attention? Is this an escalation of God trying to get our attention as a nation? Is this God trying to get your attention? My attention? Am I worshiping God in the way that he wants to be worshipped? Not the way we think we should worship him. I mean, do we claim to follow Jesus, but he's really kind of become an accessory? We just don't realize it. We're really after the dollar, we're after the status, whatever it is. And we ought ought to be asking, in, in the middle of all of this, if one of God's desires is to be glorified in and through us, how are we helping in that process? Even in chaos, even in pestilence, how are we helping to glorify God? Do people around you see fear? Or faith? And this has nothing to do with masks or shots or anything else. But what's your attitude behind it? What's your reasoning behind it? Are we placing our confidence entirely in in man or in the God who created man? The the decisions we make are, are secondary, tertiary at best to the motivation. What's driving us to do it? So if nothing else, I think this, this COVID period gives us the opportunity for a spiritual checkup. What do we really deserve? Not a thing. Everything we have, every moment we have is a blessing from God. The, Lord. the fact that our physical death leads to spiritual life is a blessing from God. So let's just make sure as we go through this and consider our motives and our actions and, 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 and whether we are being ambassadors of the gospel, let's make sure that we're not going to be accused of being in that group of folks who refused to return to God. Maybe this is just time for a little checkup for the church. Man, it got quiet. <laughs> It's really all I have to say about that, so let's pray. Lord, I recently read part of an article because I got annoyed. Part of an article by a supposed theologian who says, there are no real answers in the Bible for how to deal with covid Uh, and, and maybe there is no verse that says get a shot or don't get a shot. Maybe there's no verse that says wear a mask and here's the right kind of mask. But there is great wisdom in your word in teaching us how to live in the culture in which you've placed us. And Lord, I pray that as we go through these, and we're all having our own our own individual struggles, and how it's affecting us personally, and and on our families, and jobs, and everything else, we're all we're all struggling with this in some form or fashion. But Lord, I pray that that more than anything else, our faith in you rises to the top. It is wise to consider the options. It is wise to consider. Uh, job opportunities and, and impact of the decisions that we make. That's just wisdom and you've given us a brain to think through those things. But Lord, let us not be driven by fear. Let us rely on faith. Let us, re- let us rely on your wisdom. Let us rely on the, the Holy Spirit and really listen to how we're being led through this process. And most of all, help us be light bearers. Help us be bringers of truth. The voice of reason. Proclaimers of the gospel through these trying times and cause us to remember that you are a God of love and that is for, for us probably the most important attribute but that should not overshadow, erase the God of pestilence and plague either there are consequences for the decisions that we make but Lord let us find joy and peace and rest in knowing that you are a God of love that through the, the gift of your son Jesus Christ we are protected from every plague and every pestilence It may get our physical body, but it's not going to touch us for eternity. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.